How crazy are you that you're trying to do two things? It's hard enough to do one thing. You should be taking all of your effort and putting it into that one thing and getting that one thing right. Hey, everyone, I'm Mark Randolph, and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. We often associate startups with bold new ideas, which... Today's guest, Juan, certainly has a few of. However, as of right now, Juan's company gets its revenues from something quite tried and true, traditional business consulting. But while this conventional practice has been sustaining the company, Juan's team has been cooking up a different product, one that Juan and his partners think will transform their company into something much bigger. But they've got a classic problem on their hands. How do they transition from one business model to the other? How do they focus sufficient resources on the business that's their future when it's the current business that's paying all the bills? Stay tuned for the answers. Hello, Juan. Welcome to uh, That Will Never Work. I'm excited to uh, chat with you, and I gather that you're in Spain right now. Is that correct? Yes, Mark. That's correct. Well, thanks so much for staying up late for me. What I'd love to do is start off by maybe having you briefly explain a little bit about what the problem you're trying to solve is and the approach you're taking to solve it, and then we'll go from there. Okay, awesome. So first of all, thanks for the opportunity uh, of being here. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so really excited to, to speak with you. So basically, let me take you back to 2019 when we started the company. I'm going to try to be really quick through the whole uh, series. So, Well, you're going to have to, because otherwise I'm going to cut you off like nobody's business. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I started working full-time on Coxta, which is a consulting firm that we started in January 2019, and it's focused on improving the way teams work. We started with one client in January 2019, and by September, we were working with two big Spanish corporations, helping them become more efficient. And that's when my two co-founders joined full-time with me. We had quite a really good 2019 and the beginning of 2020. We grew up to five people in the team. And then in March 2020, COVID hit. And every project we had was put on hold. Every revenue that we were making was stopped. We barely managed to make it through 2020 and 2021 thanks to our own cash reserves and a bank loan that we asked for. That's when we figured by the end of 2020, we need to make something that 
it's less dependent on having a few clients. And we saw a big gap in the consulting services for small and medium enterprises since they don't spend money as freely as big corporations, but they are also under a lot of pressure to be more efficient and to improve the way they work. So that's when we came up with the idea of the true efficiency program. The best way to explain it is through an example. It's basically then if you want to get fit, you basically have three options. You can either hire a personal trainer and a nutritionist and you will get fit. It costs a lot of money, but you do get fit, which is similar to traditional consulting if you find a good one, of course. You can also go on the internet and start searching for ways to get fit. And you will probably either get bored in a way because there's too much information or you will hurt yourself. Since a few years back, you have the ability with all these new applications that they test you and they gather some of your personal information, like your height, your weight and all that stuff. And they give you a personalized plan to improve your fitness levels. So basically what we did was try to copy that model and do that for the team efficiency. So what we do is we make you a test. We measure nine different efficiency dimensions. And with that test, we offer each of the employees of the company a personalized training plan in order to help them become more efficient and improve the way they work. So basically now we have two lines of services, the True Efficiency Program, and we also have the old corporate consulting services, which we try to simplify. But basically what we do there is work with teams on their day-to-day basis to improve their performance, build in company innovation hubs, and offer what we call the experimentation as a service, where we help corporate teams design and execute measurable experiments. And I think that's it. (laughs) Wow, that's pretty confusing, at least to me. So let me just say it back to you and see if I've got this right. So to start, the problem you solve is companies who are trying to become more efficiency and more innovative. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you do the individualized consulting, you would go in and be essentially like any business consultant trying to figure out ways to make them more efficient or more innovative. Yes. And were the methods you were using novel? Were the methods you've come up with unique? Not especially. We just gather a bunch of the best practices and things that had worked for us in our previous lives because we had this problem when we were working on our previous companies. And we saw that in the clients that we worked with, that they didn't know the best practices on how to become more efficient. So basically it was like a traditional consultancy. Which, if I heard you correctly, was called the True Efficiency Program. Yes, you are correct. Is this an app? Is this a standalone technology? Or is this something that's done in conjunction with humans, with real people? Okay, so right now is a bunch of things. We launched the MVP on March, and we're still trying to figure out how to round everything up. But we have a test that is um, we do it through an application. That gives us some results that we have to manually translate into what the program would be. And then we deliver the information both through video appeals and through an online platform that we hire from a third party, where you have all this pool of information that you can access for extra resources. And then we have live courses that we do with different groups. Before I launch into this, what is it that you're actually trying to solve now? Or is there anything specific that would help focus our conversation? Yeah. So uh, basically what I'm trying to figure out is, should we still 
pursue the consulting services, traditional consulting services, or should we just focus on this new program that is more scalable, will give us more probably revenue in the long term, but in the short term is not going to solve our financial problems? Or should we focus on the consulting services, which are more short-term revenue and more profitability and probably easier to sell for the moment? So this is a really great question because it really emphasizes that not all startups are the same, either at the pace they go or how they fund themselves or what their expectations are. And people read, of course, a lot about the entire Silicon Valley startup scene or even the startup scene, which is happening in other more developed parts of the world where people raise from the get-go $10 million or the seed rounds an hour. The pre-seed rounds are $2 million and the seed rounds are $10 million and the Series A are 20. These huge amounts of money and people immediately jump up to having 20 employees, 30 employees, 50 employees, sometimes when they're still pre-revenue. And people seem to think that that's the only way to do it, that you have to go big or go home. And there's a lot of reasons not to do it that way. One, of course, is that you're still finding your way in terms of what is the problem you're solving, who are you solving it for, is, in fact, the idea you have a good one. You're going to be very careful to preserve your flexibility. You don't want to take on money. You don't want to grow quickly. You want to go very slowly and deliberately and find the market. That's certainly a legitimate path. The second legitimate path is to say, no, I want this to be something, and it used to be called, perhaps somewhat still is, a lifestyle business, where why do I want to work that hard? <laughs> why do I want to all of a sudden be worrying about managing dozens of people and having huge staffs and very, very complicated businesses? And of course, the third reason to go slow is you don't have the option to go fast, either because the part of the world you're in doesn't yet have the developed funding systems, or because for some other reason, you simply can't raise the money. All of those are legitimate choices. But it does need me to ask you, and it definitely comes back to how I would perhaps answer your question. How did you fund the growth to be where you are right now? Okay. So far, we used our own money at the beginning to launch. We didn't need much because we had a client really when we started dedicating ourselves full-time. We already had one paying client, so that helped not put too much of our money inside. And then the rest has been organic growth from the clients that we had. So we haven't had any outside investment yet. In Madrid, is there a entrepreneurial funding option available in a place like that? It is. There are options available. We've been talking to a headhunting firm that is interested in selling our corporate services as part of their portfolio. And we're pretty advanced in that negotiation. So it's something that might happen in the near future. But but it's not like the way it is where I'm sitting, where I kind of can basically pick a flag and put it out the window and with a dollar sign on it. And then someone's going to drive up and be interested in talking. Yeah, probably not. I mean, the Spanish ecosystem right now, there's more investment than a few years ago. If you asked me five years ago, I would say definitely not. Now there are some efforts being made, but it's not easy to find funding for the beginning stage of a project. 
Yeah, it's really interesting where years ago when um, I was visiting a friend of mine, I was living in Paris and an American friend of mine came to visit. And together we went to visit his sister, another American who was married to a Frenchman. And this Frenchman owned a big company which imported leather gloves or something like that. And because I was an American business person and my friend is an American business person, we went and visited and we were talking to the guy who owns the glove company. We were talking about, well, have you tried this? And maybe you could expand. And have you ever considered moving your manufacturing? And, and we're kind of just having what we consider a normal business conversation. And you could see this expression on his face of total lack of understanding, but not lack of understanding of what we meant about the business things we were talking about. And finally, he said, why? <laughs> why would I want to do that? He goes, I have this great life now. I have a house, an apartment in Paris. We have a very nice place in the south of France. I take five weeks off every summer where I can spend on vacation. I can take my long weekends. Why would I want to make a company any more complicated than that? And it was this really interesting observation that not everyone has the same big, 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 fast, fast, fast mentality that permeates a lot of American business culture, especially startup culture. So to your question, I would absolutely do both. The reason I would do both is you have got a great gig here. You have someone else who is funding your growth. You have clients who are paying you. And what an amazing luxury. They're paying you more than it costs you to provide the service. You have revenue left over. You're able to live, maybe not as well as you perhaps would like, but you're able to live and you're able to invest in this new product line. Um, and my general feeling is in seeing that is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> now you mentioned before that you had listened to the podcast before. And so you've probably heard me hammering on some poor, unfortunate entrepreneur about their pitiful lack of focus where I was saying, how crazy are you that you're trying to do two things? It's hard enough to do one thing. You should be taking all of your effort and putting it into that one thing and getting that one thing right. Well, as a wise man once told me, rules are for fools. And what that means is you have to look at the circumstances because I look at the opposite. And if I gave you the advice and said, oh my gosh, you should drop your traditional services because they're short-term revenue and they're less scalable and you should invest everything into your true efficiency program that might allow you to make the true efficiency program better. It might allow you to get to scalability faster. But wow, is that scary, which is that it puts a timeline on you. You have got to do it quickly. You've got to convert it to a point where it's cash flow positive, probably before it's ready to go cash flow positive. That's why I started off with asking about the funding environment. Because if you thought it was possible, and I'm going to say relatively uncomplicated to find someone else to help you make this bet, to say, we're willing to invest a million euro or whatever the number you think is to allow you the time to focus entirely on your true efficiency program and get that to the point where it could be self-sustaining, then yes, maybe you do want to focus on that. 
But I think where you are right now feels good. I think finding someone to fund you is going to be different. You already have a traditional services business that is working. People are willing to pay you for it. The things you're continuing to learn about how to make companies more efficient and innovative is probably continuing to inform your development of the True Efficiency Program. And I think what you're doing is exactly right. Now, here's my caveat. <laughs> it's very easy when you are funding your business with consulting services, and you're not the first person to do this. Um, as you can imagine, a lot of engineer-founded organizations, the engineer can certainly make a lot of money on the side. And so it's not unusual at all for the person to say, I'm going to fund my company by doing consulting contract services to fund my true passion. What's dangerous is that if you let that drag you completely away from what you're working on, which is you have to kind of look yourself and your partners in the eyes and say, what is our true North Star here? What do we think is the long-term objective? And I would agree with you that I think your true efficiency program is the right long-term objective because of the fact of how scalable it can be, that once you have the right software, the amount of customers you take on is almost infinite without requiring tremendous growth in capital or personnel the way it is in the non-scalable traditional services business. So it, continue to do the traditional services business, but remind yourself you're doing it purely to keep growing the digital side of your business, which means it gives you a filtering system to decide what makes a good client on the traditional services side? And again, you have to answer that yourself, but off the top of my head, it feels like what makes a good client is someone who is not asking for a lot of specific, strange, off-topic things. They're not people who want more and more and more of your time, who start off on a 20-hour per week, and pretty soon it's 40 hours a week, then it's 80, then it's 100, and then pretty soon you guys can't breathe. It's probably someone for whom the things they want you to help with are the most closely aligned with the things the True Efficiency Program. And then I'll add one more. It would be wonderful for you to be able to use these existing traditional services customers as your beta sites for True Efficiency. And so to the degree that people are willing and able and appropriate to use the digital in a blended model, that's kind of a win-win across the board. Awesome. Thanks a lot. That's a lot of information to take in, but it definitely reinforces some of the ideas we had a few months ago where we also tried to simplify our consulting services into two or three things in order to be able to focus on the true efficiency program. So thanks a lot for all that information and all that. You're truly welcome. And I'm really glad that we had a chance to chat about this because I think a lot of people are struggling with what you are trying to decide, which is there is this pressure. I've heard every possible reason for why people don't get started. And probably reason number one, besides I'm scared, reason number two is I would need to raise money. And my answer always is no, you don't. And you've just demonstrated one other way you can break that impasse, which is by doing something on the side, which funds your work on what your passion project is. And the fact that you're starting from that point is a good one. Or as I always say, don't quit your day job, especially if it's not completely getting in the way. 
at some point, hopefully, listen, we'll have to chat in uh, six months or 12 months. And at some point, I'm going to hope you're going to wean your way off, back yourself away from how much time you're putting into your traditional services business so that you can be investing more and more into the scalability of the true efficiency program. But uh, let's hope you get to it sooner rather than later. Do you think you're going to have a hard time convincing your partners to do this? No, I think we're pretty aligned. My biggest concern right now is how to convince them on where to invest the little resources that we have in the efficiency program. Because, I mean, you can either invest it in the scalability of the product. So try to hire some developers, move it from the MVP into an actual thing put together that works or keep improving the quality of the content and I lean more towards improving the quality of the content because that's what's going to make the product valuable. And I think my colleagues lead more into making it more scalable. Ooh, that's a good one. Of course, the answer is you have to do both, but you're really struggling with <laughs> what's the ratio here. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, I'm going to leave you and your partners to solve that. You're not going to get that much out of it today. <laughs> Everything you said was incredible and it made so much sense and helped try to calm my inner struggles. So thanks a lot for your time and for the conversation and everything. Oh, I'm so happy to have chatted with Juan and I do wish you all the best. And another great reason I'm glad we talked to you is just because people need to know that you can really start companies any place in the world and that if people think they have to move to Silicon Valley or live in the United States or live in some other, you're proving them wrong. So good luck with everything you're doing and uh, tell your partners that I say they should listen to you. There's <laughs> <laughs> I will tell them that. I don't know if they're listening to me, but I will tell them that. And if you ever find yourself in Spain and need a tour around Madrid, let me know and I'll be more than happy to show you around and take you to nice places. Ooh, there's a deal. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Juan. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. Well, as I often tell aspiring entrepreneurs, don't quit your day job. But... As Juan's company develops their new product, they do have a few things going for them. One, they're turning a profit, which certainly helps. Two, by continuing their old business, they're collecting the information that makes it possible to build the new one. But execution here is a matter of balance. Juan will have to allocate the right amount of resources to his new product without starving his old one. And he'll have to put those resources in the right places. But I'm hopeful that on our next call, I'll be hearing all about how the new product is well on its way. Well, that's all for today. And thanks to my guests for entrusting their business to me for a little while. I look forward to hearing back from them in a few months to see if my advice helped. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest. Fill out the form and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter at mbrandolph or on Instagram at thatwillneverwork. Or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok, where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Audiation.